Hey, welcome to episode one of the Perseverance Podcast. So glad you've decided to listen in, no matter where you are in the world. And today, we're going to do episode one with a good friend of mine. This is Holly. Hi, Holly. Hi. How are you today? Very excited to be here. Uh, Thank you, thank you. Okay, so Holly and I have known each other for a while. We're both on staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Holly, where did we first meet? We met at a special little place called Muskoka Woods. Yes, which it's, is what? Because a lot of Americans, Brits listening. It's true. It's a summer camp about two and a half hours north of Toronto. And it's the bougie summer camp. Yeah, that the, the bougie summer camp. <laughs> a resort for kids. Yeah. Uh, really special place in both of our hearts. My wife actually became a Christian at the camp. So did I. Uh, and so did Holly. And uh, I got engaged there, uh, right in the spot where my wife got baptized. Really thankful for that incredible ministry, bougie as it is. Uh, it's, it's really awesome. And uh, so Holly and I are going to have a conversation today on our very first episode of Perseverance. And we're going to actually have a conversation about something actually that I didn't want to start this podcast with. And I was like, oh my goodness, because uh, this conversation, Holly, uh, oh, we didn't say this. Holly's on our staff. Now, what do you do here? I, sh- I am a site pastor of one of our local sites. Yeah, okay. That's mm-hmm. actually the site my family goes to. Yes, I get to see them every Sunday. You see them more than I see them <laughs> on a Sunday. Absolutely. So um, uh, when we were mapping out the podcast and talking about this, when Holly and I were talking together, I was like, man, I, I really don't want to start the podcast with this uh, because we talk about it here so much and probably a lot of people tuning in probably have heard me do some of this somewhere. But then as I was looking at all the different things we're going to talk about, I was like, there is no way to to start this podcast and not start with this because this affects so much. So I suppose we'll get going like this. Uh, if you've heard me do this before, hang in for the ride. Yeah, buckle up. Buckle up because <laughs> it's funny. Last week I was doing a preaching class or two weeks ago for some Baptists out in the Vancouver area and some of them had heard this and I was talking about how this affects my view of preaching and I said, actually, I think some of you have heard me talk about this but you didn't get it before. Mm-hmm. So listen in. Some of you are like, wow, what is he about to say? And so if you haven't heard this, also buckle up. I think that's the right way to say <laughs> it uh, because it, um, it revolutionized our church. Uh, and it's really actually revolutionized a lot of our lives. Why don't we start like this? Holly, when you and I met uh, at this camp, I was volunteering. I do some staff coach training there almost every year. And this conversation uh, intersected for us Mm -hmm. at that camp, not at this church. Yes, totally. So we'll get into what it is, but why don't we talk about the the experience around (laughs) the conversation that happened, and then we'll get into the conversation. Well, because this is your bread and butter, you're so used to, you know, saying it and and, uh, preaching at different churches. But I think when you go to different places in different contexts, people come out bewildered because (laughs) this is usually the first time that they're hearing this kind of idea. And so that's that was my experience. Yeah, Uh, we were in a yurt. We were on a. (laughs) Okay, so let's clarify that. Someone's going to like, are you in a new age cult? No, no. So so. At Muskoka Woods, there's this large, well, it's, it's actually a Mongolian tent. Yeah. But that's their prayer space, right? Yeah. And uh, I honestly think it's just cheaper than a building. True. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, so all of the pastoral staff uh, on the summer staff um, gather there, and we had you come in and uh, go through Jesus is our model and spiritual gifts. And uh, my brain just kind of broke. I <laughs> I left that year absolutely bewildered. I like remember just sauntering back to my cabin just in a daze of like, like, have everything I believed been a lie? Like, what's happening? Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think that it is, it is really cool to start with this today because as much as if you've heard it once, it's really great to get back in the weeds and listen to it again because I, I know every time I go through it, I always learn 
Something else clicks. Right. Yeah, I think that's the best way. And you ended up actually marrying a guy mm -hmm. who actually also was a staff coach. Yes. And I remember his head got broken too, right? It's true. <laughs> my uh, my husband, who is a pastor's kid of a Baptist minister, yeah. this was a big uh, paradigm shift for him. Sure. And so he came out of the yurt the year before, bewildered as well. <laughs> so, yeah. so if you haven't heard this and you feel a little bewildered at the end of this, that's totally fine. I'm actually sure it's normal. Awesome. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's just sort of begin the conversation. Why don't you start? Yeah, totally. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you lead, what our cultural context is, because that kind of begins this conversation. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of the, uh, folks listening might know, a lot might know, not know. So we'll just begin like this. So you and I both are pastors in a church on the east side of Toronto. Uh, it's a church of thousands. Uh, it, even in this new paradigm, it is a church of thousands. Mm -hmm. Uh, we are the fourth largest city in North America. So Toronto is really, really large. I think it's going to cross 7 million pretty soon. Um, and the really cool thing about our city that we love, other than the food culture is awesome, mm -hmm. and the theater culture and the urban vibe, like it's awesome, it is the most multicultural city on earth. Mm -hmm. More than LA, more than London, more than New York. And a lot of people don't know this. So there's 300 heart languages spoken here every day. And our uh, we lead a church in a really interesting place. So our culture is deeply post-Christian. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think you and I would say on the ground, it's repaganizing. Yeah. So we went from de-Christian to post-Christian to repaganization. That is so definitely in the water. 100. Well, great example. My son's walking home the other day with a friend of his. And um, as they're talking, this boy who's 12 had never heard of Adam and Eve or sin in his life. Wild. And my son's talking to that. So totally re uh, post-Christian, repaganized, uh, multicultural, pluralistic, mm -hmm. and we've moved in a culture from tolerance, I'll put up with you, and I disagree with you too, unless you accept me fully, you're my enemy. So yeah. we live in a, a culture where Christianity is viewed with suspicion and hostility. Mm -hmm. We have every nation on earth, every religion on earth here, and we're weirdly secular and spiritual and deeply religious and postmodern all at once. <laughs> Is that a fair assessment? The whole gamut. We, yeah, we got the whole thing. So we, you know, I've said this in some of my former uh, writings, it's true, like our church probably has 55 nations in it. Yeah. Uh, we have sites that are rural, urban, suburban, which makes church life really interesting. Oh, it does. It, it really, <laughs> yeah, it totally does. But I, I think the, the we are trying to be mission, genuinely missional in this mm -hmm. context. And we're trying to learn how Christians have succeeded well in multiple cultural um, situations, and also actually where churches have done really well when it's got actually hostile. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's those two things, and then there's other stuff we're going to talk about later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Totally. And I think this is a perfect segue to kind of start talking about Jesus as our model right. and where we start with that, because... I do think that that has been foundational for our church in such a wild context to be able to have that as like foundational theology. It has really helped our church grow. It has helped us figure out problems. It yeah. has helped us helped us like bind together, gift-based ministry, mutual submission. All of it flows out of this conversation. So totally. I will just let you take it. Okay. But why don't you just start us off this working idea around Jesus as our model and where do we start with yeah. that? Yeah, so uh, in my history, and Holly and I actually have different histories of how we grew up with faith and how we connected to Jesus. Mm -hmm. In my history, there's sort of one other peg of this or leg of this where I, I, you know, I wanted to see a church experience everything I saw Jesus 
do and the New Testament did. And then when I started asking questions, I was always told, Jesus is God, you're not God, so you need to adjust, adjust your expectations. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, if as we're just getting going, for you are pastors, theologians, evangelists, Christian leaders listening, what we're going to walk through today isn't just apl- applicable to our context. This is actually transcultural. Mm-hmm. It's transdenominational, and it resolves a really dark shadow in the church. Yeah. So we tell our people all the time, you need to be more like Jesus. And we as pastors say, we need to be more like Jesus. But the problem is if Jesus is God and we're not God, then it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Like we're setting our people up for failure. Totally. And, and so there's this really dark shadow that none of us address. And I think theologically and biblically, this resolves that mm-hmm. and allows us to move our people forward. So in, in uh, my journey, the two key passages that started me like freaking out uh, were in John. So John 5, 519, Jesus is very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, whatever his father does, so the son does also. And then, then John 14, 12, it gets more wild when he says, anyone who has faith in me, not the apostles who have faith in me, it's that anybody, uh, they can do what I've been doing, even greater things than these, because I'm going to the father. So it's a big one. Uh, yeah, and I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like, I, he, Jesus can't lie, but I'm confused. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as I started thinking this through, you know, I've written about this. I've said this. Basically what I write is uh, Jesus says, I can do nothing except what the father tells me to do. And then I'm like, well, how did Jesus hear what the father wanted him to do? And why did he even say that? Cause he's equal with the father. Cause he is God. A- and then Jesus says that every day broken up, screwed up people like this will, us will do greater things than Jesus. And I'm like, have you seen your church lately? <laughs> Because I've seen my life lately and my marriage lately, and I'm not sure if I believe this. Mm -hmm. So that began a journey um, theologically, Trinitarian, Christology, the Bible, wanting to have all high Christology, high Trinitarian understanding, highest view of scripture, still being orthodox and how to work this out. And so you've heard me say this before. I start upstairs from Mm -hmm. heaven's view, and then I walk downstairs, then I walk back upstairs. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, for everyone to get this, and I promise you, I promise you, if you're listening to car or plane, slow down and listen, because this is going to be a lot of theology for a bit, Mm -hmm. but it literally bleeds out to everything we do in this church. It's so true. It it becomes very, like, it goes from conceptual to very practical so quickly. And I know that that's what's been so impactful for the people in our church is to actually have the on the ground, how do I look more like Jesus when I'm, yeah, not God? Right. And how do I... How do I work that out, that I'm supposed to do greater things than, than God on earth? Like, what does that mean? Exactly. So what we did in our context is we took a lot of time to theologically think this through mm-hmm. so people could go, oh, that's biblical. The, I can trust this. Let's follow. So we always start in Philippians 2. So Philippians 2 is that incredible song from the first century that was sung in the early church that Paul includes in his letter on joy. And a lot of you listening know it. You know, I'll just read part of it. Philippians 2, 6, Jesus being in very nature, God does not consider equality with uh, God something to be grasped. And and again, I always stop here. Within 30 years of Jesus's physical resurrection and ascension, Paul, who's a world-class Orthodox pharisaical Jew, is saying that Jesus from Nazareth has the former nature of God, which means he is God because he shares God's DNA. Mm -hmm. And there's no other being in the universe that has that other than God. 
So it's wild. He says, so, you know, basically Jesus is equal with the Father. And then in the same breath says, does not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. And I'm like, so what? Like, so you're sense. equal with, and then what What does that mean? And then, you know, I like Eugene Peterson put it like this in the message. Jesus had an equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself. He had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. And I think it's the word advantages we need to hone in on mm-hmm. here. So, of course, the ancient song resolves part of the question, how does he do that? At verse 7, you know, he made himself nothing, right? Taking on the nature of a servant found in human likeness. Appearance as a man, humble himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So uh, Jesus takes on flesh, incarnation, Christmas, lives a perfect life we're supposed to, dies, well, does amazing ministry, teaching, loving, healing, deliverance, all that, walks with the Father without conflict, dies a death we all deserve, overcomes the grave. And then, of course, verse 9, and therefore God exalts him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God and the Father. We both say amen. 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 All right. <laughs> so we've got Jesus in his preexistence. We've got Jesus incarnate, his incarnation, his death, his ascension. But to understand what we're going to talk about today, the question I started asking years ago is how did Jesus not cling to the advantages of who he never stopped being between Christmas and Easter. Mm. And that's when you have to walk from upstairs to downstairs to the Gospels. And Luke is this critical one because in Luke, right, you've got this idea that he's baptized in Luke 3 Mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit descends on him. The, The Father says, you know, this is my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And a lot of you would know this. Uh, there are two reasons why the Holy Spirit is given to Jesus. One is to affirm his messianic identity. But the other one, which is so critical for us today, is the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus to empower Jesus to do the Father's will. So this is where, th- this is, I always joke, right, Holly? This is where the light bulbs turn on. Yep. <laughs> and the pitchforks come out. But especially if you're really conservative theologically, hang in with me. I'm probably one of you. Uh, It's not negating all of our history. It's rounding it out. Mm -hmm. So um, think about this. Up to this point in Jesus's life, he's done nothing Mm -hmm. of profound significance. Once he's at the temple at 12, but no casting of demons, no new teaching. No one's really following him. Just getting lost at the temple. Just getting lost at the temple on (laughs) purpose. Yeah, that's right. But this, when the Holy Spirit lightens on Jesus, then he starts doing what the Father wants, the power of the Spirit. So the third person of the Trinity empowers the second who was sent by the Father. And here's the uh uh-oh moment. Without the power of the Spirit, Jesus would have not been able to do everything he did by choice. This is how Jesus did not grasp the power or privilege of deity. He only did what the Father wanted, Mm -hmm. and he never did ministry out of his own divinity. He relied exclusively on the power of the Spirit. And this makes so much sense when you read Luke and Acts, Luke 4.1, Jesus now full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the desert. And the crazy thing is in Mark, it actually says the Holy Spirit pushed or almost kicked Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <clears throat> How is the third? What? Why is the third person in the Trinity kicking the second? Like, what's going on? Like, yeah, who's in charge? And what? And then verse 14 in Luke, you know, he returned in the power of the Spirit. So here's, here's the thing. We say this all the time. Jesus isn't just our Savior and Lord. He also modeled what a normal Christian church would look like and a normal Christian life would look like. And so that brought up a question for me years ago. How did Jesus do all the the stuff Mm -hmm. and remain God? So we want to make this really clear. He didn't de-evolve. 
He didn't evolve. He didn't empty himself of anything. He always had the credit card of who he was, but he chose not to do it. So the question I always say is, how did Jesus do all these incredible things but not use his godness? And I don't mean that in the true sense. And the answer is, Jesus was filled with the spirit. Every charismatic's like, of course, but I'm like, how? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that help me? How does it practically work How, out? how, how? And then the answer is, oh, it's so obvious. Jesus used spiritual gifts to serve, mm-hmm. and Jesus used spiritual disciplines to listen. Mm-hmm. And this is like humongous. Some people are like, this is not a big deal. No, no, this is a really big deal. Um, and this is where things changed for me and for our church. So um, this is how it sort of works out uh, on the ground for us. Uh, Jesus uses spiritual disciplines, solitude, silence, right? All these different things uh, to actually hear what his father wants him to do because he doesn't know. Mm. He actually doesn't know what he is supposed to do. So he's modeling permission-based ministry. Dallas Willard years ago said, my central claim is we become like Christ by doing one thing. Now, I would disagree. It's more than one, but one thing. (laughs) uh, Following the overall style he chose for himself and what activities did Jesus practice? Well, solitude, silence, prayer, et cetera. So spiritual disciplines is how Jesus learned to hear what he was supposed to do next. Mm -hmm. So it literally probably went like this. Uh, What do you want me to do today, Father? Oh, you want me to go to Jericho. And what do you want me to do in Jericho? You want me to meet a man. Oh, a wee little man. Only one? There's lots of them. (laughs) And he's going to be in what? Oh, a sycamore tree. And why? Oh, because he's going to become a true son of Abraham. Jesus is God, so he's omnipresent, all places, and all-knowing. But if he shut off the God tap, even though he remained God, Mm -hmm. to model what disciplines look like, it changes everything. Absolutely. Like, everything. So the spiritual disciplines is how Jesus models how to listen. And we say this all the time. Spiritual disciplines don't make you a Christian. No. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> and they and God's ear doesn't get closer to the ground when we fast. But they're a container yeah, they're, for that encounter. Yeah, they become this environment where we we the ground is cleared. And we're going to talk about this in a few episodes about how we've uh, built our discipleship model on encounter, not on classes. And mm-hmm. we'll get there a little bit later. So this, number one, really helps us. And then spiritual gifts, on the other hand, is how Jesus served under the power of the Spirit. So the real revolutionary, oh my goodness, moment for us is, so when Jesus confronted Legion, he didn't command Legion to leave out of his own divinity. He had the gift of miracles. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he used the gift of teaching. And when Jesus knew what was in their hearts, which multiple times, it was the gift of words of knowledge Mm -hmm. as examples. So Jesus never does ministry out of his divinity. And and again, I want to say this again. There's this theological word called immutability. God never changes. Jesus never changes. But actually, what we're talking about here resolves so much for us. Immutability is intact. We get to imitate Jesus, which we'll talk about in a minute. And it resolves two things, which are a real problem. Uh, How did Jesus grow up Mm. in stature and knowledge when supposedly he's Mm all-knowing? And actually, even the one that's really crazy for me is in Matthew. I think it's in Matthew near the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And it says that they ask him, when are you coming back? And Jesus says, I don't know. I've never heard a good conservative preach that well. Yeah, because you're asking God, when are you coming back? He should know. I'm like, I don't know. My father knows. Why didn't he know? 
The reason why he didn't know is not because he's not omnipresent or all-knowing. He was not accessing all of that on purpose between his birth and ascension to model what this is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. So in other words, what's so incredible for us when we start working through this is uh, suddenly you've got this connection where Jesus uses spiritual disciplines to hear the Father and walk with the Father. And we make the joke all the time too. Jesus always leaves at the wrong time. <laughs> like, right? We right. talk about this where like it's literally genuine revival. Thousands of people are getting saved and like all this stuff. And he's like, I'm out. And they're like, you can't be out. This is this is the thing. And he's like, I got to go. And and then he's always alone. I just got to chat with dad for a second. But most people are like, oh, he's really tired. And I would say that's yeah. true. But it almost, I hear a lot of people preach, people preach like he almost has social anxiety. Hmm. And that's not what this is. Yeah. He's always getting permission what he's called to do next. Yeah. And when you suddenly have that, you go, oh my goodness. Yeah. So gifts is how we serve like Jesus. And of course, disciplines is how we walk like Jesus. And this makes sense right later because mm-hmm. Paul suddenly says, oh, we're the body of Christ. And then he says, we are all baptized into one body by one spirit. Mm-hmm. Baptism of the spirit is a conversion thing. Yeah. And then he says, oh, you can have the fruit of the spirit. And then he says, uh, you will have the gifts of the spirit. All of the dots start click, connecting. Click, 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 exactly. And I think what's so cool is not only does it clear up confusion, I think like personally, I could say that this is really comforting for me to know that like Jesus has modeled the Christian life. Right. He has modeled everything that he has called me to do. So when we like, when I really connect to the humanity of God, I know that like he has modeled you know, using spiritual gifts, mutual like submission. He has modeled like submission to the father. And so when I have to do that in my own life, like I can look to Jesus and say, okay, how do you do it? Like what's the practical on the ground? Where did he do it? How did he do it? And, and spiritual gifts and disciplines are how we work that out. Yeah, and so what it, what it's done for us is it's done a lot of things, but first of all, it's resolved theological confusion. Yeah. It's allowed us to be orthodox and historic and not touch the creeds. Mm-hmm. It's allowed us to have an unbelievably high view of Scripture and also not be suspicious of experience, yeah. but interpret it, totally, which is really important. And then the other thing is it now resolves John. Because mm. then like... Then you're like, oh, so Jesus listens to the Father and only does what he's, there's a reason. Yeah. And then the John 14 thing for us has been really big because a lot of people read John 14 wrong. They read it as, I will do what Jesus has done in greater things. Mm-hmm. It, it's to use a Southern thing, it's y'all, not you, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a royal you. So of, of course we can do the things that Jesus did because if he didn't do them out of his divinity, but under the power of the spirit and both Holly and I are Christians. So we're both possessed by the spirit. We're both baptized in the spirit conversion. We're trying to be filled with the spirit mm-hmm. and we have sovereignly signed spiritual gifts. Then every time I preach, cause mm-hmm. I have a gift or I cast out demons cause I have miracles. I'm actually imitating Jesus. Yeah. And of course, greater things is so interesting I've thought so much about this. I'm like, greater things, greater things. Because we're not talking about dying on the cross. Yeah. We're not talking about interceding for the world. But there's more than him. Mm-hmm. And by the way, don't tweet this out. Like, or sorry, X. <laughs> X. <laughs> uh, no, but like, don't, don't write us off as heretics real quick. Because remember, um, there are billions of Christians now. 
So what I love thinking about all that we were uh, we were both talking about this before this podcast episode because uh, we're both involved in Alpha in different ways, mm. and we were talking about how so many churches are launching it. But I was thinking on a grander scale, like right now, Holly, we're recording this, and I guarantee around the world someone's preaching. Yeah, and I guarantee someone's casting out demons, and I guarantee the. F- poor being fed in Jesus' name. And someone's stacking chairs, uh, oh, using their yes, gift of help. They are, they are. <laughs> Sorry, a bunch of memes came in my head of guys of stacking chairs. Sorry, stacking that's, chairs. A whole different, that's a whole different thing. Whether for approval or not, uh, we don't know. That's okay. well, we'll burn on judgment day. That, that's the truth. But I think the point is, of course, we're doing greater things because there are millions of us now possessed by a spirit yeah. doing this again and there's again. There's a volume. Like, oh, there's, there's a, a li- bigger There's volume. a literal volume. And it's just, anyway, so all that to say... Um, that has begun revolutionizing how we approach to ministry because we can imitate Jesus. Suddenly, uh, listening is really important. We're going to talk about that in episode yeah. two, uh, why listening is uh, important, and then why gifts become the epicenter of our serving here mm-hmm. and why disciplines. In other words, as we joke around here, you got to be a little Catholic, yep. you got to be a little contemplative, and you got to be charismatic, and you got to be conservative on the things that aren't, you can't, con- you know, you're not allowed to touch but you also have to be well i'm a little calvinist but i you know i'm the minority <laughs> on staff i'm right and uh right and then so and, humble about it oh, too. So, hey listen i'm not an angry calvinist and you know that right i don't bite i yes. just speak the truth uh no but then it's formed how we approach church yeah it's true and you know what i remember about a year ago you teach a class on this every year yeah at, at our seminary in toronto and um I remember a year ago, you walking out of the class, you were doing it virtually, and you were telling me about one of the students that was in that class, and you were saying that he said, this feels like heresy, but it's not, because you've answered every single like question or yeah. rebuttal that I've had. This feels like it, but it's not, and I don't know how to work that out. Mm. So this is that like bewildering moment when you kind of, okay, connect the dots, mm. and all of it makes sense, and it... It is a bit of a paradigm shift, though, like to go from one way of thinking for your whole Christian life and then like, oh, wow, Jesus didn't act out of his divinity. And that means something so different for us as we walk out our faith. Correct. And and I want to make this really clear. Um, And I I mean this, no joking. Um, Most of us that have a lot of church history that are more conservative, actually, we need to be profoundly thankful for it mm-hmm. because conservatives do upstairs theology really well. Mm. They don't know how to bring it down very well sometimes. <laughs> sometimes people that are tend to be more charismatic or even social justice oriented work try to work it out really hard down here but don't know how to attach it to upstairs. Yeah. And so for us here, it's not a tightrope actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's really balanced and really freeing because yeah. you get to be robustly intellectual robustly theological, have the highest view of scripture and still imitate Jesus. Mm -hmm. Totally. And there's not a cognitive dissonance between what you're doing and what you believe and what you're seeing. So I think that that's really helpful. It's like it holistically aligns with, yeah, that upstairs, downstairs theology. It's a great example. Um, But it gets to that downstairs idea, which is like my favorite part. I love talking about, as a pastor, I love... 
uh, having this conversation with people about their spiritual gifts because it's fun and it's exciting and because people don't always know that they've been given spiritual gifts right. by the Lord. And so to to help them in the process of discovering that and then see, okay, how has God called you to serve the church with the gifts that you've been giving, given, with the limitations that you have? Right. How do you be obedient to Christ in that? So this gets to my, my favorite part okay. of the conversation, which is how how do we work this out with spiritual gifts? Yeah, so a few things. And again, I want to be really clear, like in all of our writing and stuff, we've pulled a lot of information from a lot of sources. So we're yeah. not like plagiarizing this. It's all documented in other places. Yes, it's true. Uh, one of the big things we talk about here a lot is the difference between natural gifts, mm-hmm. acquired gifts, and spiritual gifts. Yeah. And it's just humongous. Natural gifts are what you're born with. Mm-hmm. Acquired gifts are what you learn. And spiritual gifts are endowment by the Spirit. Almost all churches run on natural and acquired gifts. Yeah. And what's so scary about that is you don't need the Holy Spirit to do the work. It's so scary. So scary. So natural because there's, you know, like some people are naturally amazing at basketball. I, it would be a spiritual gift for me. <laughs> okay. Honestly, if, same. Uh, honestly. Yeah, that's right. Like <laughs> if I suddenly start playing basketball, you know the spirit has lightened upon me. But no, he, like here's the thing. Natural gifts and acquired gifts can be used by the Lord. Yeah. 100%. We see it every Sunday. Every Sunday. Every Sunday on worship. But you do not need the spirit in the room to do those things. So we use the phrase around here that spiritual disciplines are the guaranteed place of encounter to walk with God after you've met him through Jesus. Mm -hmm. And spiritual gifts are the guaranteed place of power to serve from because the spirit of God has to be in the room. In other words, there's a power source that's deeper than me Mm -hmm. that when I use a spiritual gift, I'm accessing a well that actually is deeper than me, which means burnout rates drop, Joy increases, not Mm. necessarily numbers, joy increases and kingdom input increases. So the more people use spiritual gifts, the more actually things explode. Now, the question we always, people always ask is, well, how do I find out my spiritual gifts, right? (laughs) Right? And we're like, send me a test. And we're like, I'm like, no, don't do the test. Don't do it. Don't do the test. (laughs) um, Here's one of the problems with the test. Number one, it presumes you've actually done all the things. Yeah. So one of the big problems with spiritual gift tests is like, have you raised them from the dead? No. Well, have you tried? No. (laughs) Well, how would you know? Right. So that's a problem. Um, So we always talk about three ways to identify your gifts. Mm -hmm. Uh, One one is the rule of dots. Why does this keep happening to me and not happening to you? Because actually what happens in your Christian life uh, is so natural to you sometimes that you expect everyone else to do it. Mm -hmm. And so prayer people are like, yeah, I prayed two hours a day. And you're like, uh, what? You know, (laughs) and, and if they don't know it's a gift anyway, so there's that, why does this keep happening to me? The second one we always laugh about, but where you're angry is usually where you're gifted. Yeah. That was helpful. Very. So where you're always frustrated at church is usually where you're gifted because every teacher's like, can we teach more? Every leader's like, we've got to reach all of Toronto. Every pastor's like, what about Bob and Lakeisha? Like we got to love them. Right. And and like, and you can just literally track, uh, holy frustration and we forget that the gifts are going in 21 directions Mm -hmm. which causes a lot of tension which we'll do in another podcast uh anyway so you you've got that and then the third thing is actually where do you find joy Mm. is a really interesting one not happiness yep but joy there is an ease i think i used this image years ago about uh, some people are gonna laugh because we're in toronto a snowblower there's a huge difference when there's a big snowstorm in February between shoveling a driveway and then having a snowblower. Yeah. People are in the text are like, what? Trust us. <laughs> right? It is so hard. One has a motor and one is, uh, the motor is your shoulders. That's right. Right. Exactly. So the difference is uh, you shovel, shovel, shovel when it's yeah. a discipline. 
But when there's a spiritual gift present, it becomes a snowblower. Yeah. And it changes everything. No, totally. And and I think what's so interesting is when people don't know that they're operating in their gifts already, right. like they, yeah, there's an ease to it. Like I don't have the gift of intercession. And so there are people that have the gift of intercession in our congregation will just be like, oh, I was just praying for a couple hours last night. And I'm like, a couple hours? What are you talking I'm Like about? I'm a pastor and I'm, I'm just like, okay, got to put my you know timer on, <laughs> yeah. got to do it. But just the ease and the natural ability, sometimes you don't even know that you're functioning out of a gift until you have this conversation of like, oh wait, everyone else doesn't do that? And I, I think too, what you said before, the context is really important as well. I, I wasn't aware of my spiritual gift of discernment until I started serving in a deliverance ministry and and being in a bit more of a charismatic context that that allowed for that. And so I was like, wait, what is happening to me? I remember coming Hungry, to you angry, being lonely, like, tired. Yeah, that's right. John, what's happening to me? Nothing. But, but oh. I think it is just it is really interesting because sometimes you don't know gifts are there or your people that you're serving and that you're leading, they don't know gifts are there because they haven't, yeah, been in context where that's been, you know, searched out or too, like they don't even realize everyone else is not just like me. Yeah, and I think what we've done, taking from a guy named Bobby Clinton, we've divided them love gifts, word gifts, power gifts. And that's been really helpful. Love gifts demonstrate the love of God. Word gifts clarify who God is, what he wants, and what he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Power gifts evidence God in the room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like in our sermon series we've done in, the, in my first book, Convergence, and even a little bit in my second book, mm-hmm. uh, we take a lot of time building a common script because we talk about this a lot in our context too. So uh, this is how I describe Sanctus to other pastors. They're like, what's the makeup of your church? I said, oh, it's really complex, but I can outline it simply. They're like, what? Mm-hmm. I said, well, we've got a lot of burnt out charismatics and Pentecostals who come to our church because we sing like their churches and they're really excited, but they're honestly like, would you teach us something? Yeah. We got a lot of hype and promise, but we weren't taught a lot. And that's not a shot against all those churches. This is their yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. Then we have a lot of burnt out conservative, like Baptist reform people. And they're like, well, that guy preaches like old school. Like he preaches they like verse by verse. Yeah, yeah. Like when they come he's to church, exegetical like, so we can trust him. Even that though, was a good word, Yeah, John. that's a good word, John. I use the NIV though, not the ESV. So they're a little <laughs> suspicious. But then, but then they're like, I wonder if I could actually encounter God before the new heavens yeah. and new earth. And then the middle, we've got like, Muslims, atheists, gay activists, and everyone else in between checking out Jesus and meeting him. So in that environment, what so we have found this so helpful is number one, we have to build a common script so everyone means the same thing when we say that thing, especially for the Christian community. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, which is probably a podcast we'll do later, we also have to help people discern the gifts they have that aren't from our side, Yeah, which is a different conversation, but but is really real here. Yeah, And also where you are, not just here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that common script is so helpful. And uh, the spiritual gifts sermon series that you walked our church with through a couple years ago has been so helpful for us to go back to every time someone has a question around it because we're not calling one thing eight different names. Right. So it's it's been really helpful just to have clarity around that. And I think for those listening, you um, and this is a much larger conversation, but I think you, you need to know on the gift side of the conversation, but and the disciplines conversation, you not only have to choose the definition, but then there's a decision to make. How does this look in our church context? Yeah. So um, different churches will have different ways it will be allowed to function. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and that's really important to talk that through. So that's sort of what I call like the missional, incarnational work of that thing. Mm-hmm. But you have to have a common understanding of what the thing is in the first place. Yeah. And a lot of people confuse those two things. And can you talk to us just about like how do gifts get decided? Like how, like I think you've had a great uh, way of explaining limitation and scope and how many gifts does someone get? And do you even, are you guaranteed one gift? What is it? Yeah. How does that work out? And we'll just do a real quick run here because yeah. there's so much more. Number one, the scriptures are clear that we don't choose the gifts. Mm-hmm. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4 are the major gift lists. By the way, some people watching, Ephesians 4 are not offices. And if you disagree, go read, read some of my stuff. They are gifts with greater influence or leadership, but not everyone gets one of the five and, and they're just one of the 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people that are in environments where, you know, apostle, prophet, like yeah. these, everyone's one of these. It sets up this weird second class citizenship thing. Mm-hmm. If I don't have it, what's wrong with me? You start faking it to making it like run. To be honest, I don't. So I like what, those five. I was like, wait, where, what category do I fit yeah. in? Like yeah. I'm, I'm in ministry, I'm leading. And so, mm-hmm. so totally like it. It, it is it matters. a big deal. It's like the classic Pentecostal uh, teaching, all people must speak in tongues to evidence the spirit. Yeah. And what's I understand why they arrive there. The damage that is, then if you don't do it, what's wrong with me? Do I have enough faith? It's like, no, uh, actually, they're di- so they're sovereignly distributed. That's the first thing. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is we do a lot of work, and actually we're going to do a whole podcast ap- episode out of God's No. Mm-hmm. out of Romans 12, which I think uh, both you and I have talked about this, but a lot of our staff have talked about this, yeah. why actually uh, when you find out your gift, and you're guaranteed at least one gift, but when you find out your gift or gifts, the second conversation you need to have as a Christian leader with God is actually what you don't get. Mm-hmm. God's no is more important than God's yes for perseverance, mm-hmm. which is just mind-bending in Western culture, mm-hmm. but it's like so freeing so that's gonna i don't know even what episode that's gonna be that's that, that's <laughs> future that, episode that, that, don't that's, worry that's, that's coming for sure but i think for us like um the ident- the common scripting and r- again rooting this i do this because i want to imitate christ yeah and it's not just personal where this begins to build perseverance is you're like okay if i am walking in a power source not my own and i'm imitating jesus that Rightens my expectations because mm. expectations right either kill uh, under or over promising is death relationally friendship wise church all of it so this establishes right expectations yeah it gives me good limitations and also some good joy you but, know your sandbox yeah, you know you can and, play and, in and it that's right and most people are like don't it's funny when I was in Disney a few weeks ago I saw um, a T-shirt um, I put it in the book I'm writing now my fourth book and and it said um, uh, don't be a sheep, be a lion. And I almost went up to the guy, I'm like, no, be a sheep. Mm. Because that idea of, no, tear out the sandbox. and No, there's no life to that. Yeah, It's actually, it's better to be a sheep and a, a slave than a, to Jesus, that is, mm-hmm. than other things. So that bleeds out of all of this. But the real interesting thing that happens is, and we, we're not really good at this, we're trying our best, is you want your programs filled with people who are serving in their gifts. Totally. So it's it's okay to have programs, uh-huh. but the programs don't drive where the power is. The gifts in the program make the difference. You need to get those evangelists in your alpha course, yeah. and you need to get those people who have the gift of helps. They need to be doing set up on Sunday for Portable Church. Like when you get people in the right spot on the bus, then you see how easy 
things that were difficult, mm-hmm. they, they become. It's really there, cool. There's this. Other than with Alpha, you got to be careful which evangelist. Yeah, it's Which true. we will talk about. <laughs> because certain evangelists shouldn't go to Alpha because they want to talk too quickly. That's true. Uh, 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 but no, no, you're, you're right. We need, need them inviting, at least. Yeah, I, exactly. Teachers teaching and, and administrators and discerning people. Like, it yeah. just brings such life. And what it does done in our church and we're at like five locations 40 mm-hmm. staff or something 35 staff it's complicated we've got all the same problems yeah S- staff and life and personal we d- i mean we just did something all of yesterday mm-hmm. on staff on uh, out of the john maxwell five voices stuff and we yeah. found how unified and disunified we are <laughs> depending on our voice it says the pioneer <laughs> listen to me no but it's like, gonna be fine says the connector yeah says the yeah everything's gonna be fine but but at the end of the day in the middle of that What's happened is when we suddenly realized we could be like Jesus and walk in the power he had and listen to the Father, it infused our church with a godly expectation and and made sure the Holy Spirit was always functioning at the center. Mm-hmm. And even during the hardest times, it's been, he, he has been a huge uh, difference maker. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, too, it frees people up to be who God has created them to be. Yeah. And there's that famous thing, which we'll talk about later, where when Peter's restored after, you know, his horrific uh, triple fall at Jesus's uh, trials, Mm. and then Jesus rises from the dead and Peter's restored brilliantly. And the very first thing Peter does after being restored is he looks at John and says, what about him? And Jesus says to, to Peter, why do you care? Yeah. Not your business. Yeah. Actually... Um, what I've given you, what I've assigned you is so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Stop looking at John. And you and I both know in a social media driven culture. Oh yeah, especially in ministry. Like yeah. it's not just watching people in your personal life who, you know, are out doing other things that you're like, oh, I wish I could do that. It's watching other churches and being like, oh, I wish we did that. Or I wish, you know, my church was growing like this. Like comparison really is just a, an epidemic. It's Yeah, it is. And so this... This uh, divine freedom and divine limitation has brought a lot of life to leaders. Mm. Uh, it's actually made certain leaders leave, mm-hmm. not in a bad way, because actually they're like, actually, I need to go do something else uh, in other communities through this or launch certain things. We've seen that time and time again. Totally. And what it's really done is it's given us a common narrative for discipleship in our church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I know we're getting to the end here, but I want to ask one more question just before we wrap up. Since this is the Perseverance podcast, but how does this allow us to persevere in ministry, in life, in our discipleship to Jesus? How is this conversation setting us up for perseverance? Yeah, so I'm going to say a few things. Realizing so many uh, who are listening are leaders. Yeah. And pastors and theologians, evangelists, key volunteers. Uh, Number one, you'll notice something very quickly about gifts and disciplines rooted in Jesus. It doesn't matter who has money. It doesn't matter about gender. It doesn't matter who has power. And it's not about office. Yeah. So why, why this is so important is this is transcultural. It's transdenominational. And actually, and I, I hate saying this because I, I hate those books, five key successes, you know, keys to a perfect, <laughs> I'm like, uh, I hate all that. Um, but like this is the secret sauce that I keep finding in every generation of Christians I read about in history that saw things happen. Yeah. In North Africa, in China, in Indonesia, in medieval and again and again. So how does it lead to perseverance? Well, number one, it's actually 
it, tra- it, it goes beyond structures. It's Amen. not anti-structure, but it goes beyond structures. Number two, it, it allows me to rest more mm. uh, because I don't have to be something else, which we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. Number three, it ups the power level in a hostile environment. Yeah. And, you know, um, a lot of people think maybe you're listening from a smaller church and you think if I just had more staff yeah. or if I just had more sites or an HR director and I'm like, yes, but no, we've almost put all of our eggs in the leadership basket, the strategy basket, and we're not anti-strategy. Actually, our next yeah. episode, we're going to probably be together on that one. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about the role of vision and mission and strategy but the role of the Holy Spirit in the middle of it is the missing component in so many talks and mm-hmm. so many thinking. So I would say there's this perseverance related to guaranteed power. Mm. Uh, it also allows me to walk like Jesus. The last thing I would say is this. Um, it's not based on how I feel. Mm. You know, spiritual disciplines, we always call them the buffet. Um, you get to explore all of them. They're not sovereignly assigned like gifts are. You know, some people teach that spiritual gifts are like an empty bucket. And one day I'm a prophet, and the next day I'm an apostle. Yeah, you just and I'm like, no, no, pick no, your no. flavor. Interdependence goes against that. You're not an eye one day and a foot the next day. There's so much to that that we don't have time to talk about that here. But here's the thing: uh, spiritual disciplines. Um, we like certain ones based on other things because of our personality and all of that. But um, they're they're a guaranteed place of encounter, whether I feel him or not, because mm. he's present. And it doesn't matter how I feel. And spiritual gifts aren't based on how well I think I am. They're based on a source that's not me. Now, we can grieve that power, Yeah. Ephesians 4. But this whole idea of how I feel affects how I live mm-hmm. is so massive in our culture yeah. and actually undoes so much perseverance where this grounds us. And this is, I'll just end with this. Our unity as Christians, our salvation as Christians, and everything we use as Christians is an external force. Mm. I don't own the Bible I preach from. The gifts I have are not mine. I'm not a witch or psychic. They're not my gifts. They're his gifts, and I work for him. Our unity, I mean, we're unified together in Jesus. That's an external unity. Mm -hmm. All of that is mind-blowing, beautiful, humbling. And takes the pressure off. And you get to rest. Yeah. Yeah, you get get to rest. And I'm just, I'm going to keep harping on this so much. Mm. Uh, we are we are in desperate need of not just Sabbath on a, once a week or or a sabbatical. We are in desperate need of a rest that is continuous. And one of the ways you rest is when you imitate Christ in the way He modeled it. Mm. It's probably a good place to end. Yeah, yeah, I it's love great. It. So glad Holly that you hung out with us today. So glad that you all listened to episode one. Hope it was really helpful for you. Again, uh, we'd love you to link and subscribe and share. Uh, this wherever you are and realize too that like we've done a lot of thinking on this and mm-hmm. so at sanctuschurch.com uh, I've got a page johnthompsonresources.com um, all the books Convergence Deliverance Perseverance but also the sermon series we've done and so much more are all available and just go explore think and hopefully it's helpful thanks for joining us today we'll see you on episode two, two. okay <laughs> see everyone bye bye